Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If life is a mystery waiting to be solved... Why do people keep seeking solutions in all the wrong places? Haven't you heard? The answers lie within. Master alchemist Debbie Unterman believes she has the key. After four decades of delving into people's minds, she's here to help you discover the secret. The journey begins by learning to love the voices you hear in your head. What are we waiting for? Let's begin. Here's Debbie. Hello and If life is a mystery waiting to be solved, why do people keep seeking solutions in all the wrong places? 
Haven't you heard? The answers lie within. Master alchemist Debbie Unterman believes she has the key. After four decades of delving into people's minds, she's here to help you discover the secret. The journey begins by learning to love the voices you hear in your head. What are we waiting for? Let's begin. Here's Debbie. Hello, this is Debbie Underman, and we're taking two. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but there's some conspiracy going on. Last week I had a black screen for 60 seconds, and this time with my hands nowhere near the keyboard, I supposedly muted myself. So here we are, Bold Brave TV, Love the Voices, Debbie Underman, take two. Bam, okay. So, as I was saying, if you were with me or not, I am wearing a shell lei from Hawaii. It is made of shells, beautiful shells, just like a flower lei would be made of flowers. And I'm wearing it in honor of our American idol, Iam Tongi. I posted on my Facebook page something I found on Facebook that is a full half hour of all the songs he sang during this season of Idol. And he is remarkable. He's a kid, I think he's 19, uh, just out of high school. They gave him an honorary diploma because I don't think he could even graduate because he was so busy with Idol. And he is just all heart, pure heart. If you could hear the heart sing, that's what happens when you listen to him. And, you know, the Aloha spirit already is all about peace and joy and Aloha. And we got it. America got it right. But what I also love is that his name is spelled I A M. I am. He pronounces it, or I guess his parents, when they named him, pronounce it Iam. But it's I am. And I am is such a powerful two words to put together. And any sentence that you start with, I am something has extra power to it because it goes right in. I think that uh, the name of God, maybe in Hebrew or something, I think it goes, I am that I am. And when you add another word, like I am stupid, that's powerful and very damaging to the psyche. It's something that you should always really keep in the highest praise of oneself because you are speaking about that spirit inside of you. I am that I am. We are here on earth as a spark of that great I am. 
And so please speak with reverence about yourself. Now, speaking of words that are names that are kind of funny to pronounce, I really respect and follow, before there was something called following online, a woman called Carolyn Mace. Um, The funny part of her name is it's spelled Caroline Miss. Uh, She pronounces it Carolyn Mace, like M-Y-T-H would be myth, but M-Y-S-S is Mace. So you may know her and not know that I'm talking about her. She She's a, a wonderful therapist. Um, she's had a gift of being able to look inside people's bodies and seeing their illnesses and where those illnesses come from. But she kind of gave that up. She said it was too difficult for her to keep seeing how people were sabotaging themselves and making themselves sick. And one of the things that she really speaks about a lot is archetypes. Um, She's got a book called, I think Sacred Contracts is the name of the book where she goes through all of her archetypal patterns, about 54 of them or something. My book, I go through 21. So she divides it up a lot more and where my book And I guess I should show you my book if you don't know about it, that I am an author. It's called Talking to Myself, Learning to Love the Voices in Your Head. I like to play with, well, I like to play anyway. I am an inventor, a game inventor, and I like to play. But I like people to play with the parts of them. There I am. Now, Gurdjieff, a great philosopher, would say, and I always get mixed up, is Uspensky his teacher or his student? But the two of them, to me, go together, Uspensky and Gurdjieff. Uh, One interpreted the other. And so one of them says that there are as many little eyes, right? The big eye is I, I am. But there's, there's as many little eyes, little parts of us, right? As grains of sand. Oh my God. Okay. That's more than 21 or 54 or anything. But she's, Carolyn Mace is going through the archetypes right now online. And it was, it was perfect because it coincided with this, this show. I think this is my ninth and she's been going weekly through a lot of the different voices. So I've been listening to her and, you know, garnering her idea, which is close to mine, but I'm, like I say, I like to play and I like people to find their own names for a part of them inside, an an archetype you could say, or what we say in psychology too is subpersonality, that we present, right, we present our ego, Freud would say, presents one persona, but the others slip out of us all the time. I think that the way Carolyn Mace puts it is that we come in with a major one, like the victim, you know, that we're kind of working on our whole life. I say that you can be 
dominated by one particular subpersonality. Usually it would be possibly the victim, the rebel, the judge, uh, usually something like that could be guru preacher. We know there are some people like that. Uh, and those can often be dominant, but we have a lot of different parts of us. And when I was saying I like to play with them, so one way, uh, I, I was telling you that I'm a, a mad driver, a mad speed demon, you know, and I could call my inner race car driver a speed demon, right? Uh, somebody mentioned Speedy Gonzalez the other day, and I was like, oh, that would have been a good name. But I've called mine Ronda Racer, because as I'm going through you know, the highway, and I'm changing lanes, you know, I feel, okay, like I'm on a race course, I know the highway is not a place to do that, but I'm very safe, and mostly what I'm doing by getting in between the cars is to get that space there where there's no one driving, because I don't like to be in those little places where everybody is all stuck, and everyone's going the same miles an hour, so I find a way in front of them, around them, so that's, that's how you can play with the different parts of you. But what I was able to listen to today were two of her archetypes. And the first one was the one that she just put out this week. And then I realized, oh, I missed last week's. Last week's was the indentured servant. That is one I would never have thought of or named. And it is pretty interesting. She's a history buff. And she literally went through indentured servitude, how it started. Uh, she claims, now I'm not the historian, she claims it got started in this in America. I don't know if it was the South per se, but when we had all this land and no one, not enough people to till it. And so they started bringing in indentured servants that made a little deal of a certain amount of time they would work for room and board, which may not have been very good in terms of the facilities or the food that they were fed, but that they knew that after a certain number of years, they would be free. And the promise was kept until the Americans started to realize, ooh, slavery is free. And then they started to just steal people. And then they weren't indentured servants anymore. They were slaves, which is shameful, terrible, awful part of our history a history that a lot of people want to erase, and I will not stop talking about this, by banning books that talk about that shameful history. Let's just brush it under the rug. We don't want anyone to feel bad about themselves because maybe they were a southerner and maybe their great, 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 great ancestors had slaves and we don't want them to feel bad about themselves 
let's not think about the fact that we have lots of people here whose ancestors were slaves. And what, we don't want them to feel bad about themselves by teaching about it? No, we just, they're not the ones in power. So they, they're not the ones making the rules. So there's the other archetype that she happened to talk about today, which were the bullies. And if you were with me when I had Steve Taibbi, on talking about his book, Grateful Guilt, about the fact that he has had two, two new hearts, two heart transplants, and he's grateful and guilty that someone had to die to save his life. Of course, grateful to be alive. So we started talking about the bullies in his life, and quite adeptly, he had realized as a kid, when he was a scrawny, sickly kid, and he was bullied, which, you know, you think you got somebody who's already gone through a couple of open heart surgeries, and is known as, oh, how did they call it? Something, something like uh, the, the Holy Cross, or so I forget how they put it at St. Francis, the hospital where he was during his, uh, years of being just five and six years old and had to have two open heart surgeries. And then you think of kids like on the playground, taking a kid whose chest has been pulled open and he described it, right? How you have to have this ranking thing, pulling the, the ribs apart, you know? And then, then to think that there'd be bullies that would push you, like maybe even in the chest or make you want to fall or, you know, a kid like that. So what makes a bully? And Steve realized that they were always kind of scared about something. There was something they were hiding or feared or were overcoming with their bullying. And they always had a minion. I think of Harry Potter, right? And uh, Draco Malfoy always had those other kids that were with him when he was acting all tough and pushing around. Little Harry Potter, who also had almost been killed as a baby and ended up with that scar by Voldemort. You know, why do people want to pick on people smaller than them? Because they're afraid. Because there's something they don't want you to know about them. And they gather these other people behind them who like the fact that they've got the power. And that's something also that Carolyn Mace really emphasizes. She says when she's talking about all these archetypes, She's always talking about power, that all the different parts, all people are trying to exert power in the world in some way. But why is it that some people can only get their power 
by doing some kind of power over others. And that's the only way they can feel good about themselves. And she's saying that right now in this world, there are lots of bullies. They're everywhere. They're really in politics. She was like, I'm not going to mention names. But, you know, then she says, the way that they do it is by knocking down others. They see somebody in their way that could try to usurp their power and bam, they have to knock them out. They've got to usurp that power for themselves and make the other person feel powerless. And I'm afraid that there is a connection between the bully and the indentured servant in the way that she's like, well, why would we talk about indentured servitude now in our world today? And the first thing she mentioned was that you may have to care for a, a partner, a wife or husband or a parent, and you did not ever, or, or even a child who's born that will never be able to live on his or her own. And all of a sudden you find yourself in servitude that was not chosen, it wasn't bargained for. You didn't say, I'll do it for a few years, but she says it's still within a certain amount of time because something will happen. I mean, what she didn't say is you might die. I would say that could be the end of it, right? But she said they, not necessarily a child that you're caretaking, you know, that you're caring for because you love, because you were put in that position, but a parent or like in my father's case, his wife will die of their illness eventually. He did it for a long time. I say 15 years because I started noticing her going downhill in 86. It was a slow demise, but I, I saw that there was something not right with her and they hadn't even retired at that point. And then it became worse and worse and worse. And to the point where we had to take the car keys and he could still go on vacations, but they were different kinds of vacations because he was such a good caregiver. Um, and it just drug out. She died in 2001 uh, and her birthday was just a couple of days ago. So I've been thinking about her a lot. The anniversary of her death was March 27th. Um, I've been talking about her a little bit and that was something that, you know, was forced upon him. And he is such a, there's a Yiddish word called a mensch that he took it upon himself and he did not complain and he did what he needed to do. And now he's having a resurgence, a life with a vital woman that he has been with for over 20 years since my mother died. And he's in a family home now her kids house that they live in in florida and he's having his reward for having done his indentured servitude while you're in it you never think it's gonna end but it does but then she started talking about some other ways 
that people put themselves into that situation. And those are the people that say, there's that I am again. I am stuck. I am unhappy in this job or marriage, but I am stuck. I don't have a way out. I just have to do it because I don't have another choice. And yet there is always choice. We always have choice, but some of our, our fears, right, are putting us into an indentured servitude. Now, you know, unfortunately, sometimes these bullies and, okay, I'll get off just indentured servants and I'll put it more towards a victim, right? Because now it's not necessarily, when you get married, you know, you're not feeling like you're going into some kind of servitude. But sometimes a bully and a victim will come together and it will make the victim feels feel like he or she has no choice but to surrender to the abuse, the ridicule, the verbal abuse, whatever it is um, that that they find themselves in after thinking that it was their choice. But I've had a lot of clients over my last four decades of seeing people. And I like to go back to that initial, either the meeting or even the wedding day. And people will tell me that they had that thought. This guy is, you know, full of himself or something. But then I got to know him and I realized that he's not so bad. And another thing that she would say about bullies is they are really charming. So even the ones that she knew because she'd see their black eyes or bruises and knew that they were not having a good time at home in the neighborhood, but they'd be at a neighborhood event and the guy, I'm going to put it in the usual sexual gendered terms of him being more of a bully than her. And he's charming, you know, and I think of like Eddie Haskell, right? What a bully to Theodore, to the Beave, right? And leave it to Beaver. But when he's talking to June or Ward Cleaver, oh, Mrs. Cleaver, how are you today? I like your new dress. Very charming. And people can be seduced. But people do have choice. There's always choice, but it's not always easy. So I talked about the choices that I had to make last week about my sexuality, about how there were clues that my body was giving me, that my mind wanted to shun, 
and put down and reject and not think about and just go on. And I could have been very happy. In fact, I, one thing when I talked all about my high school, college years uh, last week that I did not say, there were a couple of things I wanted to go back to. One was the choice of work. Okay, this is completely different. The choice of working. That was something that at 13, I got like hit on the head with a boing, you know, and all of a sudden I'm driving in the car one day with, with my dad, I think taking me to Hebrew school. That's how I remember it. And I say to him, dad, it seems that you work 50 weeks a year to have a two week vacation. He goes, yup, that's what life is. And I said, I'm not going to do that. And he couldn't have believed me, you know, because you just think, of course you will. That's what you do. But, and I never did. Okay, I'll get to that at some point, one of these shows. But let's go to when it came to going to college. Okay, I already told you I chose the school because it would have a study abroad program because I was adamant if I'm going to go to college. And what I say, I was in school for, I did kindergarten. There was no uh, nursery school for me. So 13 years of school, but eight years of Hebrew school, three days a week. Are you kidding? You know, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I had had enough of school. no choice my parents were are jewish and it is there's a lot of jewish kids in every college in america have you ever noticed that because jews start saving up for the college fund when the kid is born that's what it goes to so it isn't a matter of oh you know we don't have the money it's like that's what you're gonna do now as far as that I was going to go to school, but which school would I go to and which school would my brother go to? Well, he was the boy. So he had a much bigger array of choices. Of, and I don't even know all the schools that he applied to, but he went to Cornell. I know it was more expensive than my New York State school which at the time, and I should say, because I don't even know if people understand the difference in money right now. It was $1,900 a year, it was 2000, was it a semester or a year? Oh, now I can't remember if it was 1900 a semester or a year. And the, the study abroad program was 50 bucks. It was the cost of the, um, the airfare on Icelandic airline, which was 400, I believe it was a $400 airline ticket. And a $50, you know, program enroll thing. And it was nothing. It was free. And then he's paying for me to live in Paris instead of me living at a dorm. So, uh, but the boy, it was more important for the boy to get the education in my family. And I think in a lot of families, especially, this is the early 70s, 71, I graduated high school. So I said, and this is what I didn't tell you last week, I'm just going to college to get married, to find a guy and get married. 
I didn't want to work. Well, I already said I didn't want to work 50 weeks of the year. I didn't actually want to work at all. And that's what I thought. I was going to college to find a guy and get married. And then do you remember I said I met Derek like the first week? Uh, I don't know, maybe the first day of school. I, it's so weird because I have such a good memory. I have absolutely no memory of how I met him. Absolutely. I just cannot remember. But from the time we met, we were together every single day visited each other. Uh, well, I never did go to Binghamton to where he lived, but he did come to, to my house in Long Island. And unfortunately, the summer broke us up. I think he found another girlfriend and I probably found a boyfriend. It wasn't serious, but it was enough that, you know, it was like, that was it. And then I was stuck sophomore year. I didn't know what to do because I had spent all of my, uh, my chips in one basket. You know, I didn't make any friends. I only had him. That was it. My college roommate didn't want to talk to me because I was a pain for her having to share the dorm room with my me and my boyfriend, you know, basically. I, I don't think I ever saw her again. Um, but that that was what I thought was my choice at the time. But what was going on subconsciously, subconsciously, I had attraction to girlfriends, to women. And I don't even know how I, well, I know how I knew it. I told you it was in the body. I felt it. You can feel it. If you're a girl and you have attraction to someone, you know, you do. It's physical. There's something that happens. Do I need to teach you biology? <laughs> and so there went my idea <laughs> finding a boyfriend and getting married because that was out the window so then what's my choice well I stayed with my choice of not getting a J-O-B that still became my choice so Carolyn Mace tells a story a really good one about just knowing what you know, getting messages, hearing the voice, talk about love the voices. I should say this because the whole reason that I do work with people, that I help them to find the different parts, the different personas that they cover up their mask with and are not being completely authentic or vulnerable, vulnerable. Can you imagine when we talk about bullies and you think about being vulnerable, like someone will hurt me. And yet you find out that is your seat of power, vulnerability, because if you give them all the ammunition that they could use against you and there's no secrets to come out, no shame about it, they can't do anything with it. But you have to feel yourself seated in that place of authentic power, being completely true to yourself. And that is what I'm trying to teach people. And that great I am, I am that I am, that we are a spark of God, it speaks in little bells, whistles, messages, sometimes 
words, phrases. Like the first time I watched my teacher do a lecture on the alchemical hypnotherapy that, that I do. I heard in my head, I can teach this stuff. I ended up doing that because I heard it and I followed it. So Carolyn makes talks about when she got home from something like a world tour or something about being in Europe and she landed in New York, the, the plane, the international flight. And she said, I need to go home in her head. She heard, I need to go home. And then she gets home to New Hampshire. She walks in, still has her coat on winter. And she hears herself again, say, I have to go home. Well, she is home. She said, she is so clear about that voice that she did not take her coat off. She said at that moment with that thought in her mind that she knew was, I'll call her, I am speaking, that she called her mother up and said, mom, can I come home and, and live with you in Chicago for a little while? I have to figure myself out. And then she called her landlord and said, I'll be moving out. And I think booked yourself a flight. And then she said, after 20 minutes, then she took her coat off. That knowing yourself, that is listening to the clear, still voice. That clear, still voice is underneath all those other cacophonic voices, the ones that won't let you sleep at night when you're alone and you're not distracting yourself with something, going to the gym, running, doing, you know, we know what we can do, the phone, the TV, all the distractions. It's when you're alone, and all those voices start talking in your head. That's when the fear voice comes up. And that's the one that we want to work on. That's the work I do with people to clear those, to find out where did that fear come from? When was the first time you were afraid because of such and such? Maybe a bully. You know, who was the first person that told you you were no good? And then you go back to that time, to the roots, and you clear it by confronting that original bully and telling that teacher or preacher or bully on the school ground or prom queen, you know, mean girl, what you always wanted to say and couldn't. And after you do that, that's when you pick up, I hand them their inner child that they have picked out before our session, that stuffed animal that represents their inner child. And that's when we say, little Debbie, I'll never let anybody talk to you that way again. I'm so sorry that that ever happened, but now I'm here and you don't have to be alone.
And then I, as the hypnotherapist, anchor that feeling while you are the client shutting your eyes and I'm saying, every time you feel out of power or being bullied, you can remember that you rescued that child self from that and that you made a promise to her that you'll never let that happen again. And that's the piece that I'm afraid every time I, I close my show by saying, don't forget to hug your inner child every night and tell her him you love her, that I haven't told you why. So to be anchored into that feeling, to know that that picking up that stuffed animal is going to bring back the victory of defeating that bully. What's the difference between that, now I'm going to get religious for a second, and genuflecking, flexing. I don't think I'm saying it right. I'm surprised I know the word genuflex, right? That's the word. And now I don't think I can do it right. But I see baseball players do it. I see, you know, Olympic athletes, whatever, do that before, you know, before they come up to bat, whatever, before they have a big thing they have to do. Oh, I was just watching Survivor. They, they were doing it before those contests too. So what is that? It's been anchored, anchored in by repetition, by hypnosis, by being in church, by being told that this will keep you safe. Okay, and now I'm going to really blaspheme. It's superstitious. Do you think that God is going to give you a hit because you crossed yourself? And it, he won't if you don't? That there's something, you know, baseball players are very superstitious. <laughs> your lucky coin or your dirty underwear or your torn, torn undershirt that you'll never take off. You'll wear every single game without washing, you know, because of superstition. It's all the same. It's all the same superstition. But those superstitions don't heal you. Bonding with an inner child and then sleeping at night with that little self and keeping her safe, him, that's healing. That's different. So when we hear the, the voice, you know, which just sounds like your voice, right? But is it giving you good advice or is it giving you bad advice? Are you being true to yourself? And how do you know who you are anyway? One way, again, I just told you that before, you know, when people are talking about having bad relationships, I want them to go back to what they were thinking the first time they met, the first date. Sometimes they'll say, I didn't even think I should be walking down the aisle. And I'm like, oh no, we're in trouble. 
you know, you didn't want to disappoint all the guests. So you put yourself into indentured servitude, right? By getting married. Oh, I've got somebody on that uh, is is talking. You know what, Dan, if you want to throw up the um, the phone number and if Gail would like to actually come on and say something, I have wanted to have conversations on here. And Gail Dixon has a voice. And she's saying sometimes the voice sounds like someone else's critical voice. Yes, yes. And then it gets superimposed inside of us as our own judge, our own inner critic. And that's the big voice that is universal that we all start off with. And the clue when she says someone else's, that means it might be an external voice. And guess what? If that voice is, even though it's been interjected into you, and of course you have your own judge, but if that critical voice comes from someone else, like, okay, let's go with my father telling me, of course, you've got to work 50 year, fifty weeks a year to get a two-week vacation. That's what life is. And I hear him, you know, him saying, I'm stupid, right? And what's not Dan, you didn't put up a phone number yet. She is willing to call and I should know it by heart. Um, oh, I'm not going to try to guess and I don't have my, my card close enough to, to throw it up here. But uh, Dan, where are you? We need a number. If that voice is of someone else and not you, then we can kick them out of our heads. We can actually take that opportunity to say, and you know what? I had to do this with my dad a lot. Dad, you get out of my head. And then what do we do in alchemy? We create inner parents that can take the place. And I had a very interesting session when I first got the fact that maybe the nourishment that I was being fed by my parents wasn't the kind of nourishment I needed. And that was that I saw the four of us, my brother, me, mom and dad around our picnic table in the backyard in Framingham. And my father was grilling hamburgers, my favorite food. <laughs> and my mother was reading the paper. And I was saying, because hamburgers were not very good for me, I, I believe that's the reason I got appendicitis. I, I haven't had a doctor tell me that that is possible, but I ate so many of them. I think the grease from them got stuck in my appendix or something and, and did something to me uh, when I was nine years old, because I really, really was addicted and it was really hard to get off of them. And I had to say to, to my mother, you know, you're so busy reading the paper, but when are you going to like go into reading yourself, your own life? And to my father that this, you know, this food being Jewish, being, you know, fed Hebrew school where 
mostly a lot of what we learned. We had to learn the Hebrew alphabet. We had to learn the Hebrew language. I'm not really using it. And we had to learn history. But what was the history we were learning? It was mostly about all the battles between the Philistines and the whoever's, you know, and the Israelites. It was like not relevant. So I had this Tai Chi master who looked like Mr. Clean come to me and say, I'm taking over the job of parenting you because you did not get the spiritual knowledge that you needed. And he said, I'm taking you out of here. And I said, can I bring my brother with me? And you know, I talk about my brother Steve a lot because I feel like we're kind of twins. We came into this earth to the same parents two years and three days apart. We have the same mole, his is a little further down. We look alike, I feel like we're twins and uh, we would not have done this life without each other. And so I took him with me and this Tai Chi master I call Wu brought me to a mountaintop and I was supposed to learn Tai Chi. Okay, the truth is my father has learned Tai Chi before I did, but I have been studying, you know, some alternative uh, things to the philosophies and spirituality that I was fed. And Dan, I'm seeing this, you know, Gail's uh, thing here, but she would like to speak and I'm trying to get you to put up the phone number. I know it's like one eight eight eight. There, 1866. That's what I got wrong. I had that part wrong. So, Gail, if you want to call in for the last couple of minutes and we can discuss this because I know that you are very into the heart's voice and you are just doing a conference and writing a book about the heart's voice. So, that is what this battle really is between the head and the heart. But I'm presenting a third part of it, which is spirit, which is the clear, still voice that we start hearing that does come from our heart. And when we can let go of the battles going on in the lower and middle part of our brain and move up to our critical factor and our higher mammalian human brain that actually doesn't form until 26 years old, then we can bring the heart and the head and hopefully spirit together. So I don't know if we're waiting for a phone call to come in, but speaking of that head, we need to fill our heads with information from other great thinkers. And that means books. We would not be the people that we are today if we hadn't read, if we hadn't been maybe forced in school to read. And now choices are being filtered away as far as what voices will we hear? Will people be able to read Gurdjieff and Uspensky and Carl Jung and Carolyn Mace? Will people be allowed to hear the voices? She talked about, um, not Animal Farm, the other one uh, where, oh boy, 
Uh, oh my God, I have. 1984. We got, I think we got somebody. Uh, Debbie, I'm, I'm here. Good. So Gail, I'm so happy to have somebody here speaking with me. And I'm just going to let you, we only have a few minutes left, but what was it that you really wanted to say? Well, what I was saying was that often the the voice we hear, you were, you were talking about, you know, if it sounds like you, and I was saying that we, or I often internalize things, I make the external voices my own. It's like I adopt those external voices, and so part of the the process, the sorting out process, is to figure out was that really an original thought or am I just being the echo of somebody else's critical voice? And exactly, you know, exactly. And that's how we can discern it is I will ask people in their subconscious mind, who in your life has used that phrase? So what's one right. of the phrases that you hear going around in your voice? In your head? What, one of, one of the, the ones that, that I hear is, uh, you're not good enough. And it's my okay. mother's voice. And, and, and I, you know, I have to, I mean, I adopted that voice as truth in my life for a really, really long time. And now I have sorted that out and, and realized that that was actually her self-identification, which she then decided I ought to be feeling or that she projected onto me. So I've now said, you know, um, for, for me, it was that kind of, no, I'm good enough. And if, someone doesn't see me as good enough, that's their internal voice that's not allowing them to, to see what's the truth. truth. But it took sure. a long time. And, I, you know, I just took my mom's voice as, as though sure. it were God's in, voice, as though it was in, the only voice of truth. And now I've sorted it out and taken that out. So, Okay. Thank you. And in the last couple of minutes we have, let me tell you how to play with that, right? Because I like to play. So you would go back to one of those times with little Gail when mom was saying to that little girl that she wasn't good enough, that, you know, and it might have not have been the exact words, you're not good enough. It might have been, you did it wrong, or why are you so stupid? Why did you do it that way? Come here, do it this way. Didn't I show you? You know, and you take that moment in time, maybe it's loading the dishwasher. I don't know. It, it's usually something stupid, you know, that they think you're supposed to do it one way and you did it another way. It was just everything has a couple of different ways to do. That's how you know, inventions happen. Something goes wrong. You go, oh, I just invented super glue or something, you know, uh, post-it notes, all that. So then you take that incident, you go to that time, Best if you can do it in your subconscious mind, if you can close your eyes, feel yourself, use a stuffed animal to help you 
to then pick up that little girl and say, little Gail, mom was wrong. You did it just right. And you know what? We don't need to listen to her anymore. I can be your mom, right? I can be your mom. So what I do with my dad is I started in my head or out loud, I would call him Lou. Sometimes his words Oh, and I would judge other people and I'd go, oh my God, sorry, that was Lou. Because it doesn't mean just because you've done it, you've mastered it, but eventually you can. And you know what? He has changed. And it's interesting how even as we change, we can change our parents. So... Dan may have taken you, he may have silenced you because I am just about at the end of my hour. I am very happy to have had everybody with me and I appreciate Gail being willing to come on the air and actually speak because that's what Love the Voices is all about. There are lots of voices. I want to be kind of a voice in the wilderness and Maybe the things, the ways that I have found to master myself and to learn the tools, the ancient tools of alchemy, which are not just willy-nilly. They are real and they are now being backed by brain science. I will tell you, as I've been studying brain science for almost the last 15 years, it's been like, yup, 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 yup. Everything that we have been doing for 40 years is now being corroborated. And that first day, that first lecture, when I heard myself say, I can teach this stuff. My teacher was talking about the limbic system. And just listen to how often you're going to hear people talk about the limbic system of the brain, where all these emotions are wired incorrectly. And now through neuroplasticity, that's alchemy that is running and changing incidents is, but you've got to add the spirit to it. If we don't realize that that great I am inside of us is the voice of God and no one can take it away. No one can judge us for it because we know what we know. I am that I am. I'll end with that and with telling you not to forget to hug your inner child every night, kiss her, tell her you love her, and it'll make the world a much better place. So I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining me here on Love the Voices. This is Debbie Andrewin on Bold Brave TV saying goodbye till next week. This has been Love the Voices with host Debbie Unterman. Tune in each week as Debbie will keep you engaged, enlightened, and entertained as she delves into cutting-edge topics and challenges widely held beliefs. Thursdays, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave TV Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.